Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Well, hello. My name is Bill Hendricks. I'm the Executive Director for Christian Leadership at the Hendricks Center. And it's my privilege to welcome you to today's Table Podcast. And I have a wonderful guest with me, Virginia Pradhan. Uh, who grew up in Romania. And the reason we've asked Virginia to join us today is she has a story that needs to be heard because it tells us so much about Christians who live in what we might call closed access or restricted access countries. Um, And it shows us what happens when God goes to work behind closed doors, uh, closed borders, etc., in an individual's life and then through her into the lives of many others. It's a fairly dramatic story, and she tells it really well. I will mention that it's, it's put in a written form in her book, Saving My Assassin, and right there ought to start to uh, pique your curiosity. Uh, this is someone who has uh, stared, fa- uh, stared death in the face. And uh, by the grace of God, is here to tell the story. So, without further ado, Virginia, welcome to the Table Podcast. Thank you for being with us today. I'm honored to be here. Thank you so well, much. We're honored to have you. And so, as I I, I started to say, uh, you grew up in the country of Romania, which at the time was part of the Soviet bloc of countries, right? Yes, that's correct. And you, it sounds like you had a you know fairly wonderful childhood, and and you you talk in a book about a lot of fun things that you did as a little girl, and, and it was a very beautiful country. And and as you got older, you started to notice that the adults uh, sometimes were in very difficult circumstances where there's people coming to the home and treating them roughly, and you're wondering what, what, what's going on. Tell us about that. Um, the communist system, the socialist and communist system, um, when establishes its power in a in a country controls your life mm. you don't have privacy you don't have property you are just a puppet in their hands and um, the socialist um, got more and more power the older I got and I realized that um, uh, my parents were many times very obedient outside, very careful to listen and to obey the government. But I watched them also inside of home whispering how horrible the government is and the fact that no matter how obedient they are, the next day the government will take more rights. Wow. You said they were whispering. Like, like why were they whispering? They whisper, I believe, for Two reasons. They were afraid of children to hear because children were required to report on on them. And also, I believe they were whispering because they were thinking, maybe those might be my last words. Mm. I'm telling the truth, but I'm going to pay for telling the truth, even in my own home. Wow, wow. And so at some point as a child, you thought, I want to become a lawyer. How did that come about? Well, I watched my parents 
being being careful outside, whispering how horrible the government was inside, inside of the house, whispering how horrible the government was. And I was thinking, I don't want to grow up living like this, mm-hmm. a double life and, and so fearful. We had a small family as, as a family, um, but we have a tradition every single year, we had a family reunion. And as a child, I watched my parents and relatives, and many times they will group our relatives around three people. So I listened to them, but I did some research, and I found out that each one of those three people that our relatives will group around and asking question, those people were lawyers. Okay. So I said to myself, Oh, they don't speak up, but they know the truth. So I'm going to go to law school, and I'm going to find out the truth and speak up for the truth. Now, it turns out that the the truth and truth factors heavily into your story. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it about truth that was so engaging for you? The fear that paralyzed people. Uh, the fact that they knew what was right and they were afraid to do it. Mm. Um, they were watching each other to see how silent and how deeply silent can be. Uh, and that really motivated me. It, it was... As a child, it was painful to watch adults doing those kind of things to themselves. And I am saying, because now I have kids on my own, I have grandkids, I am saying to myself and to everyone who listen or watch, we have to be very careful because what we do, how we act has a big influence on our relatives and even generations to come. And we live in a free country. Uh, many here, here of, in the States. Yeah. Here in the States. We, we live in a free country. And if we are Christian, we know the truth. And we are obligated in love to present the truth. And if we don't, we shouldn't expect our children to be uh, full of enthusiasm, less fearful in college or universities, and confront their professors. Yeah. So I'm I'm hearing a story where there's a lot of stuff that's in the background. It's secrets. It's suppressed. It's whispers. It's things that aren't said. And so I suppose part of it's just natural curiosity. But there's this, well, what's the real truth going on here? Because when there's silence like that, it's suppressing something. It's suppressing what's mm-hmm. truth, and maybe in some cases an inconvenient truth. Well, first of all, um, the socialist system, the bigger uh, power they, they receive, they will replace uh, your freedom mm. with putting yourself as, as a people in like a prison land or land of lies, what I, I consider. Um, the leaders will have more and more power, and humanly speaking, they would like to have tomorrow more power than they had 
today. And people will become more fearful instead of uh, confronting and, and saying the truth. And um, if you go on this slippery slope, the socialists will make a puppet out of you. They control not only your, your life to see if uh, you say something at work, at home, or wherever you go, but they also control all the production. Mm. So you are, you're not gonna have uh, property or you're not gonna have uh, uh, several stores where you can pick and choose. You have one store where the government establishes uh, the price, the time when they bring food and so forth. And um, the control is from the government becomes bigger and bigger and stronger wow. on people, the, the more power the socialist government. And uh, later on in, in my own country, the dictator decided to declare himself God and to require all the Romanians to worship him alone. So the socialist and fear goes from don't say anything you are not going to have anything. You are going to be under our control, and you're going to worship uh, our leader. And that particular leader was Nicholas Ceausescu? Nicolae Ceausescu, yes. I can't say it with the <laughs> wonderful uh, pronunciation that you can, but yes, he was rather infamous. What, when? How old were you when he came into power? Um, I don't remember. Um, I, it looks to me like I was very young when, fairly when young. yeah, fairly young. Right. But I, uh, while I was searching for the truth and going to law school and everything, I remember when um, the Orthodox Church agreed with him, the mm -hmm. first church uh, agreed with him that he is God and everybody will worship him and so forth. And I remember those those situations uh, vividly. Yeah. Uh, later on, after I accepted Christ, I realized how horrible the situation was because of mm. my clients. They right. will come to me and, and I had to defend them. So you're navigating through this socialist system, and, and you mentioned going to law school, and you're coming up through the system, and you have no faith to speak of, right? Mm -hmm. You're not a Christian. No. Mm -mm. And uh, which, is, which is something that's rather, rather fascinating to me, that if you don't have Christ in your life, you've got to answer lots of questions that are pretty basic questions in life, and you don't have access to. Mm -hmm. you know, I believe somewhere in chapter two or three and of, of in book. Uh, my book, it's really even now it fascinates me that um, I didn't know God, but God knew me. Mm. I remember uh, starting the chapter and saying I was going to, to work as a young, uh, young person at six or seven years old. And uh, I remember the sun was up and I felt felt like someone loves me and gives me that warmth. I believe, I'm, I'm for sure, God knew me. I just didn't know him at that time. Right. I also want to reach one point about how you go to law school in a socialist country 
uh, compared with uh, law school in America because I went. You, you've done that. Yes, I went yes. to law school in in Romania and I went to law school at SMU in United Here, States. Right. Um, you will find all the details in the book, but I want to tell you that when I applied for law school, I was very enthusiastic. I knew that I want to find the truth and everything. I didn't know at that time that the socialist government had two layers of verification hmm. or of approval. One was the government will look at your political file, which means that from the time that you were born to the time that you died, the government had a file on you. Hmm. And you had no access to look at the file to say, I can prove it to you that this is wrong. No. But they look at three questions. And the questions were, if my parents ever organized something to dethrone the government, if my parents were reported by their children of saying something about the government in their home, and the third one, if my parents were Christians. So nothing was found, so I was allowed to go to law school. The reason they established this first before you were allowed to take actual exam is because the government later on, I found out in the interrogation room when they started to beat me and they said, we admitted you, it was unspoken, unspoken word. We admitted you to law school because we believe on your past that you will be loyal to the government and you will protect the government from its people. Wow. So that's the way it works. In, in a socialist, and it's not only in Romania, it's the same system in every country where the socialists uh, established. Also, when you finish law school, and the book talks in details about that, the government will decide the city where you work, what kind of job, how much salary you have, and so on. Everything is absolutely controlled. There is no freedom. What uh, young people are lied about, the freedom and the wonderful uh, life that they will live under socialists, it's a huge, huge lie. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you get into your law practice, and what kind of what kind of law were you doing? I I was doing all, all kind of commercial, and I had individual uh, clients. I did not have corporation because we didn't have corporations right. in America. Government had the, everything; right. we didn't have right. anything. So uh, divorce so or like contract, law, yes, family right. law or contract, or contract. Right. I remember uh, criminal law, um, administrative law, all kind of law. I uh, I defended people. Yeah. So at what point did you come to faith? I remember I'm a and very And how did that happen? Yeah, I I am by nature uh I didn't re- realize at that time but by nature God created me a, a kind of joyful person, the person that sees half of the cup right. full. So every morning I will go to work and say, today is going to be my day. Today I'm going to find the truth. And after a few years of practicing, one day I came to my office and I was so disappointed. I put my briefcase on my secretary's desk and I said, I can't find the truth. 
and I don't want to be a lawyer anymore. She looked up at me like, where have you been? What are you dreaming about? <laughs> and she gave me two files and said, two people will come and see you, those other files, and one is in your office. So I walk in my office and I realize the client that was in my office, it, I have been working with him, uh, had been working with him for uh, a year or something. And um, he was a good client, but to me, he was a little bit strange. Many times I thought that he was crazy because in a joyless land, he has uh, he had joy all joy the Joy in a joyless land is a little crazy. Yes. And he had a different way of seeing, of seeing life. <laughs> and I always thought, I need to fix this man. <laughs> but I had client after client. But that day, I was so upset. I was so preoccupied in my mind. Where is the truth? What I can find the truth? So... As I stood on my chair and he was in front of me and talking about new things in, in his case and putting documents on my desk, I found myself saying, I want to have in, in my life what you have. <laughs> and he looked up at me, stopped, looked up at me and said, do you go to church? And I stared back to him and I thought, I am so sorry I asked. I didn't see a, a difference. I didn't see anything. So he wrote something and he said, this is the address of uh, our church. Would you come to church Sunday? And I heard myself saying, yes, I'll come to church. <laughs> the craziest things that a lawyer in a socialist country can say. I don't know what you're doing at church. I don't know if you worship the the right. dictator or not, but I will come to your church. I, maybe the government will take my license right. away or right. or arrest me or everything. But I said yes, and more than that. Next Sunday, I was at the church, and he was there with his family waiting right. for us. And as we went inside of the church, I heard, following my client, I heard the choir singing, Sinner, come home. Mm. And I was still a little bit ner nervous, but when I heard the song, Sinner, come home, I thought to myself, oh, these are, are good people. They have a celebration. There is a man behind me. His name is Sinner, and he's coming home. <laughs> this is what I knew about sin or God or anything else. Right. So well, and you, based on something you said earlier, um, you referenced the church that had sort of accommodated itself to the dictator. Yes. So for you, you know, church is just an, another, you know, part of the state. Exactly. Exactly. But I, I was so determined to find the truth that I went to uh, his church with him, right. with his family, and as we walk um, more, following them, they told us where to sit and everything. And the pastor came, opened the Bible, and read. Jesus Christ said, "I am the truth, the way, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me." And the church was quiet and big. Imagine that in that big quiet church you hear somebody said what that was me <laughs> because finally someone said i, I am, am the, the truth. truth right and the lady by me put the bible in front of me show me and i got glued to the pastor christ came so real to me hmm. i realized that 
the truth is Jesus Christ, not a notion from the law books. Right. And he came so clear to me. And I accepted him as my Lord and Savior. And I also understood that he took me to law school in order to prepare me to defend Christians and churches persecuted by, by the government. He had a purpose for you. He had a purpose for me, yes. That's wonderful. <laughs> yes, it is. So was it shortly after that that uh, people started to seek you out, Christians started yes. to seek you out f for legal help? Yes. I did not have to look for them because nobody will take their cases. Nobody. Word uh, got out real fast that yes. we have a lawyer over here that will take yeah. your case. If you if you read full branch stories and everything, that's exactly what happened before the Lord helped me to defend Christians. And when we nobody, say, nobody will dare to take their so cases. So when we say defend Christians, that that has a special meaning when you're in a socialist country like yes. Romania. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you, for example, when when I got the first cases, you are a young lawyer, you you find out the suffering of now your brothers and uh, sisters in Christ. It's something new that before I accepted Christ, I didn't see around me. I didn't know the suffering and everything. So the first thing that you do as a lawyer is you look and see if there is anything, if there is a law that you, you can use to protect them. Uh, and as, as a child of God, now what do you do? You go to, to, to your father and say, Lord, help me to find. Well, he's the best resource. He helped me to find the laws that the government was putting them in a very isolated areas of the library. Nobody to find it and everything. There are laws on the books, but they were laws. nobody knows about them. Yes, and not only that. Uh, but God, I, I got the sense that when I found them, God asked me to prepare copies for this. And I, I learned not to argue with God. So I made copies. And you, 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 you will be surprised that when I had those copies and I defended my first case, when I started to talk in front of the, um, uh, the, the judge. judge and the, the prosecutor and say, saying, we have laws in this country and everything, the judge looked at me like, you are crazy. So I pick up the copies and I give it to them. They were red. Their faces <laughs> were red. They could not believe this. And more than that, God many times does things behind the, the screen, not necessary for us to know. Right. As I was defending those, those uh, cases and everything, later on in, in uh, that night, I put my kids to bed and everything, and the dictator did not want us to to listen to Voice of America or uh, Free Europe, right. but we always listen. For, for <laughs> podcast listeners who may not be familiar, for many years the United States government uh, and its allies had radio programs broadcast that would go behind the Iron Curtain, as we called it, <laughs> into Soviet countries. and. Radio Free Europe was one of them, and Voice yeah. of America was, was one of the, them. So I, it was our only source to find out what's going on outside of the Iron Curtain. So I'm listening to to the radio broadcast, and I found out that I was the news, that 
I, they were telling my arguments, how I made, how I give them copies, uh, what kind of dress I have, everything, absolutely. And I have to tell you that I went through different kind of emotions. I'll bet. I was very happy that the world knew about me, but in the same time, I knew that the government can come anytime in my home and just kill me. Right. But that was God's way to protect me and make the news to the entire world. Later on, what I found out is that when I was uh, in front of the judge and, and the prosecutor behind me, they were representative from United States, from England, from Germany, from Israel, from all over the free world. Mm. They took notes and they send it back to their country because they never heard an 82 pounds woman <laughs> under five uh, feet tall taking the government to court and saying to, to the government, you need to respect the laws. And you can imagine why the mm -hmm. judge was read because he knew who was behind me. Right. But I consider God's protection. And I want to encourage the listener, sometimes in life we don't know the entire picture of what God is doing. But we need to trust God who when he said do this or do that, he is faithful and you will find out that he is doing more than you expect him to do. Absolutely. Behind the scenes for sure. Yes. This episode is brought to you by the Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on The Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. Well, at some point, uh, the the government and uh, Kuchescu, they start to ratchet up the heat on you, mm -hmm. like they are losing cases and they're not happy about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, you actually yourself start to get persecuted. Tell me about yeah. that. Yeah. Well, um, before I started to defend cases, um, usually the Secretary of State or Congressman from United States will come to Romania and talk with the dictator. Our listeners, uh, they need to understand that Romania received from United States the most favored national statute, which provided Romanians a lot of Romanian, I am saying, but it was dictator, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of economical benefits. Mm -hmm. But America attached the most favored national with the respect of religious and human rights. Right. And congressman and senator will go and talk with Ceausescu, and he will always say, we don't have any cases. Now, 
when the and they they found out about those cases, they will come first and talk with me, and then collect all the documents and go and talk with the dictator. And dictator will say the same thing: we don't have any cases, and they will say, "Oh, let us tell you what right. kind of cases." So you can imagine Absolutely. that he he was not very happy. So I was under interrogation many times, day after day. I was beaten, tortured. I was told that uh, my kids will be killed. I was put under house arrest. And later on, you mentioned they, a number of times in the book where you've got people watching the house. Yes. And you've mm-hmm. got your kids. You didn't have kids at that point, did yes, you? Yes, I had two girls. Two girls. Yes. That's mm-hmm. right. And uh, and so that must have created a lot of fear in the home. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, when when they 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 watch us and sometimes they will cut off the telephone uh, so we had no access to right. communicate with anyone and so forth but i tell you god is so faithful when you train your kids and your kids are seeing you how much you love the lord and how much you trust the lord i even had days when I was maybe upset or I look upset Mm. and my kids will say, Mom, let's just sing a song. So those secret police uh, watching (laughs) us and outside will hear the song and maybe, maybe they will accept Christ. So help from God comes from from different ways. Out of the mouth of babes. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. God has his uh, his way. I I was going to ask you, I mean, I'm seeing this increasing pressure and stress, I think, would be the the best word. Surely somewhere in there you must have had days when you had doubts or you had, you know, just like that day when you thought, well, maybe truth doesn't exist after all. I I don't know. Mm Well, When your faith is, you know, sort of wavering. Yeah. I I remember being under house arrest and uh, it was very hard because the girls were not allowed to to go to school. Mm. Um we were surrounded by police with guns. Um we we had no phone, no communication. I uh, was not able to go outside and buy food or anything. I had to cut the bread in slices and so forth and to, even to say to my kids I'm not hungry and so forth and I do remember at one point when uh, one day I was exhausted I uh, felt like I was fainting Mm -hmm. uh, trying to keep my balance and everything and I put my girls to sleep and um, I I was on my sofa and I was I believe at the end of my robe, and I do remember taking a pillow and putting the pillow in my my face because I was crying and I didn't want the, the secret police to know that I was crying. Mm. And as I, I was putting my pillow on my face, I started to cry and I said, I know, Lord, nobody cares about us. Nobody comes, nobody is allowed, nobody tries to tell them I brought something, food or water or something for them. But I said, I feel like even you forgot about us. Mm. And the minute that I said that, I knew that it was not right. But the pain inside of me was so unbearable that I wanted to take it out. I heard from the Lord, remember the day, Virginia. 
I didn't know what remember the day, but I, I wrote somewhere the day. When I came to United States of America, I found out from President Ronald Reagan that that day when I questioned and I doubted my Lord, mm. the Lord put on President Reagan and his cabinet the desire to check our whereabouts every single day. Wow. And also to make a deal later on with the dictator that he will let us leave Romania and he will receive six months of most favored nation. What I want to say and what I learn is you are a child of God and the Lord of the universe put the most powerful person in the world mm -hmm. to protect my life. Mm -hmm. He will do whatever it takes to protect you. You don't have to know, and you don't have to doubt like I did, right. but he is a faithful God. Well, on the very last phrase in the Great Commission, lo, I'm with you always, even yes. to the end of the age. Yes. So There's a great example of, mm -hmm. even though you didn't have the experience of his presence, his presence and his power are very much at, at work in your story. Yes. Um, and of course, in the book, you get to this most dramatic, uh, climax of the story in a way um, where basically the dictator says okay it, enough and decides to have you executed from my own experience and i don't want to scare anyone but i hope lots of people will relate to this anytime the lord gives me uh, an assignment it takes my breath away. <laughs> it, it, it is I impossible. Right. Uh, and I always start like Moses. I don't have this, I don't have that, and so forth. And I see the Lord smiling back to me and I said, I'm ready to give you everything that you need. Right. So with every assignment, God, it's elevated you to the other one, mm -hmm. more risky one. Mm -hmm. I will not say exactly what the risky one was, but I will tell them, they will discover reading my book, that when the Lord gave me the assignment, I said, Lord, you give them a chance to kill me, but I will do it. Hmm. So I decided that night when I received the assignment to create a pocket in my suit and to hide the documents there, knowing that the next day, as usual, they will take me to the Securitate headquarter and they will beat me, interrogate me, and search me. And as I left the, the house, everything was the same. I was interrogated, but they forgot to search me that day. So I was able later on to give the documents to the American embassy that proved that dictator was even at this level with all the intervention of President Ronald Reagan still lying to, uh, to President Ronald Reagan. Right. And President Ronald Reagan wanted to take the most favored nation for him. You can imagine that the dictator was not very happy. Oh, yeah. So he decided, I don't know if he knew that it was me or 90, 90% that was me, but he knew that I was the one for sure. So he decided to send a client to my office to kill me. Mm -hmm. And as I look back, 
everything was organized in detail, almost to the perfection, human perfection. Yeah, until God showed up. Yes, exactly. That is so true. So he came to my office exactly in time when my assistant was ready to leave uh, the the office. And um, they had microphones, so they knew my schedule, my whereabouts. They listened to our conversation. You know, with my secretary, it was nothing you know, new for them. So the minute that he came inside of the office and uh, heard my assistant closing the door to the office, he started to scream and say, I'm not your client. I'm here to kill you. And he uh, pulled the gun and pointed to my face. You can imagine that I I thought that that was, yeah, I... I heard my my heart in my ears. I remember uh, remembering all the the things that my friends, relatives, and even enemies will say. One day we're gonna find you dead. Stop fighting a, a cruel dictator and so forth. And it was so much noise outside of me because he was screaming mm. and telling me. He told me details. What the dictator said and everything, because he really believed that I will not live one second, not more, to tell the story. And it was also so much noise inside of me, fear, and my, my entire body was shaken. In all of this, I heard the whisper of God saying, share the gospel with him. And because it was risky in Romania to have a Bible, when we had a Bible, mm-hmm. we memorized the gospel, we memorized Bible verses to encourage us, everything that it was necessary for us. So when I shared the gospel, it was very easy for me just to recite the gospel to him. And as just by I, sharing verses and so verses, forth. Yes. And as I was sharing the, uh, the verses from, from the Bible, I look at him and he noted several times, his shoulders relaxed, he put the gun on the table, and he was melting under God's power. Mm. And I was mesmerized by the power of God, and I lost my thoughts. (laughs) And I was thinking, when I finish, he's going to kill me. So the next thing that I I do, I just paraphrase two, three uh, sentences, but I got so scared because he changed from a melting person under God's uh, word to the man who he came telling me, I'm going to kill you, who sent you. I pray like never before. You, you, this story reminds me of Peter who's, who's jumped outside the boat when he sees Jesus walking on the water. And he's doing just fine walking <laughs> to Jesus. Yes. And then he suddenly notices the wind and the waves and he... <laughs> He goes in. Yes, exactly. So I continue to recite the Bible to him, and at the end he accepted Christ. And he left that office as my brother in Christ. Years later, he wrote a chapter in my book. Yeah, he tells his side of the story. His side of the story and what God is doing in our lives is just beyond our imagination. This is our God. This is how he works. It is how he works. And it almost sounds impossible, but nothing's impossible with God. No, no. and it's not only that, but we are just humans, but we are children of God. What an honor mm-hmm. 
to yes to suffer but also to see with your own eyes what the power of the word by word will have when you obey God over even a criminal who tries to kill you. Mm. After all, that criminal is a creation of God. It's a person who is in need for for the gospel. Yeah, and I, he's I very do, eloquent in here about once he realized what you were saying, what the gospel was saying to him, this was a man in need of salvation. He knew he was a sinner. Yes. And he was lost. Yes. And And so what you were telling him, it just – it's like the scales fell from his eyes. Absolutely. God just asked us to share. He is doing the rest of, of the work. And I believe it's essential for us as Christians. We are not divided into between black and white, to brown and woman right, and man right. and everything. We are God's creation. If you look at the other person as a person that God created, that Christ died I for feel. them, mm. that you will feel the the honor and also the responsibility that God is using you. What an honor that God is using you as a tool to take that person from the prison of the evil one to bring into Christ. Right. There is no greater honor than that. Absolutely. There is no greater honor. So through the auspices of President Reagan and the State Department and the Secretary of State and and uh, the leverage of the most favored nation status and so forth, um, the miracle happens and you're, you're one day told, okay, there's a plane waiting for you <laughs> and you're now out of Romania <laughs> with not much. And Kachescu's not happy about it, but it's like, get rid of her, good, good riddance, you know, we're not going to lose this. Ceausescu was not very happy, no. but I believe that President, uh, President Reagan was not very sure about, uh, about uh, the dictator right. because he sent several people from the American embassy with high level of position in American embassy that stood with us in the airplane until the pilot came and said, I need to close the doors. So at that time, I didn't know why they were staying there, mm. but now I realize they had to report right. that, yes, we are in the airplane, it's and the safe. airplane, it's up. It's, it's not, safe. yes, it's safe. Yeah. God used President Reagan. He knew so much about socialists, and he knew so much about the power of God, and he knew how to be, to me, a brother in Christ. So we always have to remember that outside of America, there are lots of people that are suffer for Christ. And whatever we can do to pray for them, to support them financially or in any situation, it is our privilege and our responsibility to do it. Well, that's a good segue into the question that I wanted to get into as we, we uh, just have a few minutes left. So you live here in the United States now and, and actually are back practicing law. Yeah, I went uh, back to law school yeah. to SMU and I got two degrees, Juris Doctor and uh, Master of Laws. I raised my kids mm -hmm. and the first daughter graduated from SMU, the second one from Harvard Law School and my son from United States Air Force. And all three of them are walking with the Lord. And praise God. 
It's it's uh, America. It's the best country in the world, and with God, you can rebuild your your life. And we have to keep America free. Yeah, absolutely. And you're working in the area of human rights, as as you know that many who are listening to this podcast are in the United States, and um, you know they're going about their lives, and you know they they have this vague sense that yeah, there's a church that's persecuted around the world. There's there's people in difficult circumstances, brothers and sisters in Christ. But look, I'm just one person, and I've got a life to live here. And what realistically can I do? I think is is sort of the attitude that many of us get here. Um, what would just be a handful of things that you would say? Here's what you can do, and here's what you need to think about. Mm-hmm. I believe you heard that the Lord put on my heart a desire to find the truth. Yes. In every single heart, God put a desire because He puts skills, He puts talents, and He wants to use you. And that uh, desire that it's in you and say, these things needs to be fixed or these things is not right and anything, that is your mission. Mm. Pray because the Lord is a Lord of order and the Lord of personal direction. The Bible says that He will put His hands on our back and say, this is the way, walk in it. The, the, the path will be clear. And what the Lord is saying to you, in your closet when you pray he will show you the way you are here for a reason for a purpose with a purpose your job is just a temporary job but you have more than that you have a mission from the lord that will affect generations to come and will um, be here on this earth your influence years after you will be in heaven so take advantage of of what the Lord provided for you. He will provide for you everything that, that, that you need. I have to tell you, I went to two law schools, and, and I'm very grateful for that, and I am for education. Sure. But the education side by side with Christ and with the Holy Spirit is the highest education that you're going to receive. And also, the most impact, impactful one, if it's at your work, the way you treat others, if it's with people that you are signing a contract or going to another country on, on a business and you act like a Christian and you change somebody's life by your deeds and by the way you treat them, that's what God wants you to do. But He will not give me the answer for you mission. He will give you the answer. Pray, and the Lord of the universe will reveal to you so clear, will be no doubt about. Wow. Thank you very, very much, Virginia. You're you're giving us a great word. God's got a mission for us, for each of us. Yes. And really, it starts with us praying, Lord, what have you put me here to do? I know that I'm here for a purpose. Yes. I look at my gifts. I look at the resources you've given me, the opportunities. Now, Lord, I want to put them in your hand, and you guide me and direct me, and I'm going to trust that you're going to put me yes. in that place of opportunity. I want to say that the dream that every person has for their lives, it's nothing compared with the beautiful, amazing, godly, heavenly a dream that God, that God has, has for, for that person. Yes, exactly. Well, the book, again, is Saving My Assassin. Heartily encourage you to uh, pick it up. If you have a topic or would like to uh, have us consider 
uh, something that should be covered on the Table podcast in the future, please email us at thetable at dts.edu. Virginia, thank you once again for being with us today, telling us this marvelous story. Thank God for your life and for your witness. Uh, For The Table Podcast, I'm Bill Hendricks. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well.